love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan. If you're a new listener, welcome in. We welcome the growing community at 48 Days. And glad to have you as a new listener. If you're a regular listener, you know that last week you got a podcast that was about a two on a scale of ten. You know, Cliff Ravenscraft, a podcast advisor and consultant and coach, and not only for me, but for a lot of you as well, always ranks me based on the podcast that I do. I've been having some that he's ranked as tens, which is pretty cool. Well, last week, if you are a regular listener, you realize I was not with my fantastic equipment that Cliff has set me up with. I was actually in Florida. Joanna and I flew down to Palm Beach to pick up a car that I bought for her, and we decided just to hang around for a little while, and we so we stayed there for about 10 days, actually. Just one of the benefits of the No More Mondays work style. And um, we enjoyed it immensely. Actually, had warmer weather, I mean, cooler weather there than what we've been having here in Tennessee. The temperature again right now is 101 here as I speak. And what we experienced down on the beach was about 89 to 92 with nice cool breeze coming off. Felt pretty good compared to what it is here. Funny how that works. Well, I'm not going to say the grass is greener on the other side of the fence because I love it here in Tennessee. And glad to be back. But last week, I did kind of a makeshift podcast recording, had not even taken along my little Ederall recorder. So all I had was just my telephone. I called into our teleseminar system and recorded it through there, which is a much, much poor quality production, I realize. Anyway, appreciate your patience on that and didn't get a whole lot of people screaming about that or complaining. As, as always, trying just to get information out. This is the time each week where I scan through questions that you all as listeners have submitted and go through and pull out some that I think can help all of us. They certainly help me as I go through and hear your real life questions and try to address those concerns that can take us all to a higher level of success. Here's some of the things we're going to be dealing with today. Can I make money capturing seniors stories on video? Dan, do you have any experience, insight, or recommendations for getting the job you love in a foreign country? Here's an interesting one. Dan, how can I bring my wife along on my journey toward better health and self-improvement? Interesting. Here's somebody who's an author. I've self-published my novel and now have 700 of 1,000 copies printed still to be sold. How do you recommend selling in this tough economic time? Someone wants to know, are there still people and resources that can help one get started on eBay? Yes, there are. I'll tell you where to go for that. And do you have any advice for dealing with a manager that I cannot stand? All right, that and more. If you've got a question, you can always leave your question on the podcast link at 48days.com. That's the easiest way to do it. You can shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com. I have asked Ashley, my daughter, to extend the word limit on the podcast link with 60 words a lot of you are struggling and rightfully so that is pretty short i've asked her to open that up to 150 words now they have to be somewhat short before we can include them in the weekly podcast but 
they don't have to be 60. That really is short. And I've asked her to open that up a little bit. Well, here's a quotation for us today. This comes from Brenda Bouchard. Now, Brendan is a young, aggressive, one of these uh, motivational gurus after Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, some of those, but he's doing a wonderful job. I've been to a couple of his live events. He over delivers. So um, I'm happy to pass on some of the information, but here's one of his quotations. Are you currently achieving as much as you can based on your potential? I like that. You know, not everybody's going to be the next Donald Trump or Richard Branson or Oprah or whoever you happen to think of when you think about high achievement, but are you currently achieving as much as you can based on your potential? That's a pretty reasonable question. Well, let me go right into the questions. Incidentally, we've got some live events coming up here at the sanctuary. I think the next right to the bank that is going to happen here pretty quickly, August 4th and 5th. I think that one is sold out. I know I had a couple of people yesterday ask me about it. And I said, I think you've waited too long. Check with Ashley. But we do limit that to 48 people. A nice even number, obviously, but and that really is a comfortable number for squeezing in here at the sanctuary. We do have another one, though, this year still. That one is in, I think that was in September. We've got one, right, two months in a row here because of the demand, but I think we still have room in the September event for Right to the Bank. And then, of course, we've got one more event for Coaching with Excellence if you want to be a coach. Want to know how to turn that into a real business? We'd love to see you here for that. RJ says, my wife and I recently attended Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University and are seeking ways to pay off debt. I work full time and my wife homeschools our kids. We considered part time jobs, but would rather start a side business we can develop long term. Any suggestions on how to determine what business is best for us and how to get started? Yeah, a couple easy suggestions. For one, always start with something you already love, something you're passionate about and something you know about. Be careful about just pulling an idea out of a book somewhere and saying, well, we'll try this. No, it ought to be something that that you know is just an extension of what you are already doing. So if you bake great cheesecakes and everybody at the family reunions raves about them, that's a possibility to just expand that. If people are always commenting on how wonderful your yard looks and what a green thumb you have, with you know shrubbery and flowers, maybe that's the seed of an idea. But there are things like that that ought to come from what you're already doing, what you're already passionate about. Now, certainly, you can overview a lot more. We do have the 48 low-cost, lower-no-cost business ideas that I put together. That's a free resource for members at 48days.net. I can't think of the URL right off the top of my head, but if you get my weekly emails through 48days.net, I usually include it in there so you can click right on that, open that up. Um, about 110,000 people have already done that, looking for ideas there. And it's interesting, it's thrilling to me to hear from people who say, hey, I took idea number 27. I'm doing that and it's making me a lot of money. But it's lovely to hear that. But yeah, start with something you know and care about and build that into a real business. That's what will keep you going when you go through those inevitable challenging times and rough bumps. Gary from Woodland Park says, while reading 48 business ideas, I came up with, okay, here's somebody who read 48 business ideas. Gary says, I came up with one from my video production company. I would like to capture senior stories on video and create a movie for them and their families on DVD, including scanned photos, menus, original music, and DVD covers, etc. as a way to pass on their heritage to future generations. Your thoughts? 
Gary, my thoughts on that are that it's a very time and labor intensive business. It gives you very little residual income, if any. Now, let me kind of explain that. Linear income is when you do something once and get paid once. So you go to work, you flip hamburgers, whatever it is that you do, you clock out, your income stops. Residual income means you did something and you're going to be paid for it continuously. Now, obviously, writing a book is one example of that, but there are many, many things that are an example of that. In your example here, capturing the stories of seniors, yes, you could potentially have 20 grandkids, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews that want to purchase that. So you've got a little bit of ramp up there, but not a whole lot. You're talking about something that's going to take a whole lot of time to put together. And with that, it will be hard to structure it financially so it makes sense for you. I mean, you don't want something where you end up making 50 cents an hour having done it. I think there are probably better ideas where you would have more potential for ongoing residual income. I mean, you could go out in the woods and record the birds singing in the morning, and I think it would give you more of an opportunity, and you wouldn't have to deal with the headaches of personalizing it for one person, but I really think that would give you more opportunity for long-term sales than what you're talking about. All right, this comes from Chris, who says, um, here's my situation. Standard process. Now, this is a little lengthy, uh, but it's it's worth kind of fleshing out. Standard Process is a company that supplies nutritional supplements to doctors. They have a clinical reference guide that they sell to doctors that is only available in print. The guide basically tells the doctors what the supplements are and how they should be used. I've started an electronic version of this book that is more than just an ebook and that it allows the user to look at multiple sections at once. I've set a co- sent a copy of my unfinished work to one of their sales reps for feedback. It seems that they like it quite a bit. My question is regarding compensation for my work. From the ideas that you've shared in the podcast and your books, I've come up with the idea that I'd like to get paid a certain percentage of the doctor's increase in sales after they start using the electronic guide that I've created. Now, it goes on and kind of fleshes that out there, but ask me, does this sound like a reasonable arrangement? Any suggestions on what that percentage should be? In a situation like this, would it be acceptable to ask for money up front as well? If so, what percentage? Now, here, here's a couple... Quick things, the sales reps aren't going to be making a decision about using this new product. You're going to have to go back and work with Standard Process, the company that generated the original information, since, frankly, right now, you're simply plagiarizing their material. I mean, you don't, you don't have a whole lot of leverage with what you've done to take something that they had in print and just convert that to a digital format. You've simply created their material in another format it's just straight plagiarism as it is right now so you want to work with them so the sales reps aren't going to be making that decision it doesn't matter if they like it you've got to get the approval of a standard process and no i don't think getting a percentage of the increased business for the doctors is a reasonable arrangement i mean just think about it. that would be a logistical nightmare to track and no company wants that kind of ongoing open-ended arrangement Unless it's a little simpler. I think the best options for you are are two. One, just be paid a flat fee for creating the work. That's going to be the most reasonable, really, in the scenario that you describe. The other one is to be paid a fee for each download. Now, I love your creativity, but I don't think you've got any of the cards in your hand in this situation. You're really on thin ice 
here to have any leverage at all. So you need to go directly to Standard Process. Tell them what you have done, what you'd like to do, how you'd like to work with them. See if you get any buy-in there at all because it's going to be very easy for them to say, nope, not interested. We're already doing that or something to that form or fashion. And you really have nothing to stand on without their full agreement on this. Jonathan says, how does one drive traffic to a blog or a website? Well, that's a great question. And obviously one that thousands and thousands of people are asking right now, gee, I've got a trap. I've got a website up and I'm not getting any traffic. Well, a website is just that it's just a website. It doesn't really draw. It doesn't really attract anything on its own. Now you hear about having meta tags and keywords and those kind of things. So if people are doing Google searches, they'll find it. But that's a very, very slow process when you have millions of other sites that probably are looking to attract the same audience. I mean, if I put in career coach in Google, I'm going to get like 11 million sites that are career coaching sites. So just having one more site up is really not going to do much. What you're going to need to do is other activity that drives people back there. I mean, even when Google was getting up and running or AOL, those kind of companies, they didn't just get their technology in place and wait and hope it happened. They were doing radio ads, TV ads, billboards, doing interviews, articles and magazines. Those are the same kind of things you've got to do to get traffic to your site. Be doing interviews about what it is that you do. Write articles, comment on other people's blogs. I mean, I blog every single day, but I also comment on at least three other people's blogs every time I write a blog. So it puts me in a community of bloggers in similar content. That's what you've got to do. That'll start building your name, your brand, your expertise. Teague says, do you have any experience inside? Now this question comes from San Paulo. Do you have any experience inside or recommendations of getting the job you love in a foreign country? I find this especially relevant with concern regarding modern events, outsourcing the global economy, the strengths of some foreign economies. Yeah, you know, the job search really isn't much different. I mean, geography has been pretty much eliminated as an issue. If you want to get a position in Nashville, Tennessee, and you happen to live in Seattle, you can go ahead and apply for that. All we have to do is coordinate a face-to-face interview probably at some point in the game when we're pretty well down the road in terms of you being seen as a viable candidate. Same thing is true if you're in another country. I mean, the world really is flat. Geographical borders have been pretty much erased. If you're a good candidate for a position in Houston or Seattle or Miami or wherever you want to be, then go ahead and apply for that. It's the same process that I lay out in 48 Days to the Work You Love. You can also go to a lot of websites out there that'll help you in these kind of creative repositionings. Um, Sites like Job Monkey, Cool Jobs, Backdoor Jobs, Seasonal Workers, Snag a Job. I mean, there there are some that just come to mind, but those those are sites that'll help you get whether it's part-time or full-time or just seasonal or a long-term commitment with a, with a committee or with the company, those can help you kind of find those leads. So use those, but those are easy to access. You know, just Google, you know, finding work in a foreign country and you're going to get tons of sites that'll help you position yourself, but it really is not unreasonable at all to want to do that. I've worked with a lot of people who now are in Switzerland or Norway or Germany or Africa 
the Africa is a real magnet right now. It's seen as being a hot place to be. So people are in even Nigeria, Rwanda, Kenya. I mean, those are hot places to be. And you can find opportunities there if that's where you want to land. Colin says, I've been doing many things lately for personal growth with my aim on self-employment and better health. Lately, I've learned that my wife is fearful that I may grow dissatisfied with her. I try to keep her in the loop by talking about what I'm reading and learning, but that just triggers more insecurity. How can I bring her along on my journey? Boy, that is a tough question, a tough place to be in, but it is doable. I mean, the implication for if this can't work is then that two people stay out of shape and don't tap into self-improvement things. It's not unusual that one either husband or wife, decides they want to move to a higher level of success. And the best thing to do is just go ahead and do that. Just go ahead and do that. I mean, don't be condescending to your wife in any way. Keep her informed. Make no implications that she needs to be doing what you're doing. Just share exciting things with her. I mean, Joanna and I are much different in our search for health and self-improvement both. But I read to Joanne a lot. I mean, I read the newspaper and I tell, oh, honey, you're going to really enjoy this article. And I gave her something. And all the magazines that I read, I tag, a post-it note, those articles and say, hey, when you have a chance, I think you'd really enjoy this. Now, I don't do things that are going to just very pointedly you know, bring to full attention an area where I want her to improve. But there are things that I find encouraging to me and things that have inspired me and given me more enthusiasm. So show your wife by example that you feel better, that you have more self-confidence and enthusiasm. Make those changes contagious for her. Andrew says, Dan, I've self-published a novel, The Patriot Knot. 700 of 1,000 copies printed still need to be sold. How do you recommend selling in this tough economic time? I feel like I've made a big mistake since I used a chunk of my teacher retirement to do this out of pocket. Might ebooks be the way to go now? Now, there's still a strong place for physical books. Nothing wrong with that at all. And if you've got them, you need to sell them. Yeah, you probably jumped the gun on getting that many printed if you didn't have a clear marketing plan in place. But the Patriot Not, I mean, I assume the book has something to do about the military. That's a continuing, very hot topic right now get yourself booked on radio and tv locally to talk about something that is really intriguing i mean you can't just say i've got a book to sell but take a concept from your book i mean i knew a guy who had a a book on relationships and he was looking for a pr hook i mean when we propose being interviewed on radio or tv you need some kind of a hook he had a book on relationships one of millions out there his hook was this he says how knowing that there are a lot of military people leaving to go to Iran and Afghanistan and Iraq, other places that we've got people positioned. He said, how do you say goodbye to somebody when you know you may never see them again? I mean, wow, what a hot emotional topic. That was his hook. He had a relationship book. It didn't have to do with the military, but in recognizing that there's a whole lot of people leaving, he found that one hook and it opened the door for all kinds of articles, interviews, opportunities for him to leverage exposure for his book. That's what you've got to do. Find out who who wants to know about your book. I mean, with my materials, obviously having to do with career and finding your passion and starting businesses. I mean, I get repeated requests from the same radio and TV stations and newspapers and magazines that want me to contribute because that's such an ongoing hot topic. Now, I 
foster that. I mean, I look for opportunities to be out there because just because I've written a book doesn't mean anybody's going to knock on my door to buy that. I have to drive the traffic to that, just like the previous question was talking about driving traffic to a website. You've got to stir up the buzz. You have to create a marketing plan. I have, wow, and I'd be happy to make it available to you. I don't think that I've got it available on our site just as standalone, but in our right to the bank material and our coaching material, I've got 48 ways to fill your funnel, 48 ways to market your product, whether you're a coach or writing and the principles are certainly applicable here. You having a book Um, in that, I don't expect anybody to do 48, but you need to have four or five clear things that you're doing repeatedly and with excellence to get those books sold. Great question. Keep in mind, you can shoot any question you've got. Just go to podcast, the link and 48 days.com and you'll have a little opportunity there just to leave whatever question you have. I'd be delighted to look at it for upcoming podcast. Teresa says, are there people who can help one get started on eBay? And of course, what and where to get these products? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a whole lot of free information. Now, because eBay is so massive and so powerful. There's a whole lot of people who have created workshops and seminars and teleseminars and audio programs and instructional manuals around how to be successful on eBay. And I would encourage you to do that. I mean, if we're looking at starting a business, if you're looking at getting an advanced degree, all of those things require new learning, research, and an expenditure. And don't Try to bypass any of those. So I encourage you to go ahead and scan what's out there on learning how to do eBay, the tutorials that are out there. Spend a couple hundred dollars getting things. You're going to get a wide variety of things. But now you can also go to eBay. If you just put in eBay tutorial, you'll be taken right to eBay. Again, just eBay tutorial. I'm sure that'll take you or that'll show up right away. The tutorials that eBay itself has for newbies. They're about as comprehensive as anything that you're going to find anywhere, and it's totally free. You can just jump on those. Alan says, Dan, enjoy listening to your podcast. I'm planning to start my own business, have a passion for creating and making things. Now, listen to this one. This has got kind of a schizophrenic presentation here. I'm going to use that term loosely and I'll tell you why in a minute. Alan says the business I'm planning will center around a laser etcher, which is expensive, about $20,000. I have over half the money saved up. Would like to pay for it outright, but a loan or lease is an option I have been considering. I plan on running the business on the side for extra income until I can leave my current job. My current job requires me to travel on short notice for several days at a time and is very labor intensive, working outside in industrial plants all day. I have a passion for creating, and part of that passion is computers. Now, Alan goes through a lot of information here about how, what his skills are, how he's been looking for jobs. He's sent out a lot of resumes. He's had a few interviews, no offers. He'd like to find another job that's more aligned with his passions, and so on and so forth. Now, the reason I said I think it's a little schizophrenic is because, Alan, I detect in what you've written here that you don't have a clear focus in reading it, I have no sense of, do you really want another job or do you want to start your own business? See, I strongly suspect that if your desire is to have your own business, that you are going to come across as a lackluster candidate in your job search. If you really want to do laser etching, then ramp that up while keeping your current job as a vehicle to get there and then create a timeline for moving into that full time. 
I mean, if you if you really want to do that, and you talk about this, you need an expensive machine, and it's a it's real a real significant business. If that's really where you want to be, don't make the process longer by now going to get another job. If you go get another job, I mean, realistically, you ought to be expecting to make a two to three year commitment with a new company for them to hire you and you to get in there. Well, that's a pretty long time. If you really already have a little business up and running on the side and want to go to that full time, I would not complicate things or extend the length of time for a transition by trying to get another job. If you are going to get another job, there's going to be a new learning curve for you. And I think it will slow down dramatically. You're building your side business and you ought to be willing to put that on the back burner for a couple years. So I would make a choice, create a clear focus. I think that's what's hurting you in the job search. You aren't fully committed to the process of getting another job because all you're looking is for something to make it easier for you to go into your own business on the side. That makes it a tough kind of presentation. I think you will come across with not enough enthusiasm and zest for the new position. I think your desire to be on your own is going to be transparent, even if you try to hide that. So I just encourage you to choose one or the other, then go into that full blast and get the results you're looking for. Joe says, I'm 46 years old. I've sold building materials for 11 years. I believe it's time to open my own company offering windows directly to large builders. Two questions. Should I set up an LLC with my wife as president to help win government bids? And where should I go to get a line of credits? Well, I I agree with what you're talking about. I think it's very reasonable to open your own company as a broker or wholesaler of windows going directly to large builders. I mean, building is rebounding dramatically. Golly, building is picking up again. There are thousands and thousands of, of big companies and then certainly thousands more of small independent builders. I create relationships with them, become a great resource of information, uh, become a friend of them, whether they buy from you or not. Frankly, I would... <sighs> Uh, This is going to sound like a real generalization. I I would not encourage you to try to jump through the hoops of getting government contracts. I mean, they are so complicated and so time consuming. I think it's a whole lot easier just to go make money in other ways. And no, I would not advise you to set up an LLC with your wife as president just so you have a minority as president. That's a lot of smoke and mirrors. It, It just, it's not worth the hassle and it's certainly not worth the deception if that's really what it is just do your business just hold your head high and do it now when you say where you should go to get a line of credit go to your local bank go to the bank where you have a checking and savings account that's the best place there aren't other outside sources anybody else is going to want to go through the process of getting to know you getting to trust you and hopefully you have that kind of relationship already with your local bank not a big deal now, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the kicker, though. You don't go in and get a lot of credit just because you have a business idea. It just doesn't happen. Banks aren't going to speculate on your ability to sell windows, and they certainly aren't going to fund your desire to go buy windows that you have an in inventory somewhere. So a line of credit is going to have to be dependent on something else, like the equity in your home. I mean, it just comes down to that. It comes down to if you currently have collateral in something that the bank can attach as real liquid collateral, you can get a line of credit. If you're renting, don't have any equity in a home, don't have money in CDs or savings, 
you're not going to be able to get a line of credit just because you have a good idea and something even that leverages your background experience. So work with your local bank and get a line of credit from them if you need that. Now also be be totally aware that vendors, you can work out terms with vendors. Here's an interesting statistic that I just heard yesterday. Walmart, you know Walmart, the big behemoth, 90% of the merchandise that they sell they collect money from the customer in full before they pay for the merchandise itself. Now think about that. I mean, they have an incredible cash cow. They're operating as a bank. They don't go out and just buy merchandise and then have it sitting in a warehouse somewhere and hope that someday they can sell it. No, they get merchandise. They have it in their stores. Customers come in and buy it, pay for it in full. Their profits already built into that. Then they have the money to go back and pay for the product that they purchased. I mean, that's the position you want to be in. I mean, you can work with vendors for windows where the manufacturers will say you've got a 90 day, you know, pay period. You don't have to have a full inventory of windows to sell to builders. You can sell from catalogs and spec sheets and online resources. You sell, get the order, get half the money then and half on delivery. Then you go to the vendor and say, I need you know, 123 of this window. They ship those to you a 60-day billing. You deliver what you need to the builder. He pays the other half. You've got all the money in place before you need to pay for the windows themselves. Now, there's nothing shady about that or speculative. I mean, if you have the order, boom, that's the way a lot of merchants do that. You can also look at factoring. Factoring is another process that relates to what you're talking about. If you go to General Motors and you get an order for $50,000 in windows, and that's with your full margins built into that, you can go to a factoring company and they'll give you maybe 89% of that money. Then when the bill is actually paid, it goes to them. So you got to make sure you've got the margins to do that. But a lot of businesses, small businesses work on factoring where they go sell the business, get the orders, and then they sell those orders in essence, even though they're still involved in the process of delivery, they go sell the orders and get a portion of the money because somebody else is willing to front the money knowing that it is a reputable company that's going to pay ultimately. Rob says, Dan, I continue to find tremendous value in your 48 Days brand. I listen to all your shows, participate in your blog, and listen to the podcast to the people you recommend. Well, thanks, Rob. My question is, what strategy do you use to decide on the books you will read throughout the year? Do you rely on recommendations? Do you wait for bestsellers on Amazon? Do you follow topics? Um, yes, yes, yes. I do all of that. Now, Rob, as you probably surmise I, I read a lot of books I read more books than most people do and um, I just I enjoy reading I mean but I spend a lot of time reading I mean recently like Joanna and I being in Florida um, most days I read a book per day while we were gone having a lot of spare time and time just sitting out and listening to the birds and hearing the ocean so I usually would read a book a day in times like that now that's more than my normal speed but I, I will read I mean, last year, I think I read 74 books. So, yes, I am discriminatory. I mean, there's over a million books were published last year, so I'm certainly not just open to anything that comes along. Rarely, rarely, rarely do I read fiction. 
Now, I did read one fiction title while we were in Florida for several reasons. It's titled The Help. You've probably heard about it. There's a brand new movie that's going to be released in August titled The Help. It's a very well done book. It's very engaging. For the most part, I don't enjoy fiction at all. It's just too hard for me to put myself in some other world. Um, I don't know. I just, I enjoy things that are real, concrete, and things that I can apply in my own life. I don't want to live vicariously through somebody else's life. But Joanne had read The Help. Joanne is a fiction reader. She had read that, raved about it, and out of respect for her, more than anything, I agreed to read it. And so I did, because I want to be conversant with my wife about things that are important to her. So I read that and was happy that I did. However, I can now say I got my one fiction book in for the year. I really don't care if I read another one. So I, I don't read a lot of fiction. Have to be something rare like that where there's a lot of people talking about it for me to read it, and usually then I'm disappointed. So I read for the most part nonfiction. I read self-help, motivational, inspirational, theological, those kind of things. I go a lot on the recommendations of other people. I also I'm a, a prime member of Amazon. I order from Amazon usually at least twice a week. But with that, because they see the trends in what I'm reading, they make a lot of suggestions. If you enjoyed that, you would enjoy this. And I take those very seriously. And a lot of time I purchase books that were recommended by Amazon because they relate to other books by the same author or content that is very similar. But I go highly on the recommendation of friends. The Eagles group of guys that I meet with every Wednesday morning, we're all big readers in there. So many times there's a topic that comes up in there. You might find it interesting that right now, this morning, I started a new book with our Eagles group, and that book is How to Win Friends and Influence People. That was written in 1936. That's an old classic. It's a standard. Every person ought to read it. Every teenager ought to read it before they get out here in the workplace. They ought to read it. It has to do about how to create trusting, affirmative relationships, how to be respectful of other people how to learn to know, recognize, and remember somebody's name, the importance of a smile, just basic things. That's the book we're going through. So it doesn't have to have been written in the last six months for me to consider it important. There are a whole lot of books that have been back through history. That book, incidentally, was written and it was released in 1936. 1936. Now, it has sold a whole lot of copies. And again, it ought to be on everybody's shelf just for basic human relationships. No matter what kind of business you're in or if you're an employee or if you're a mom or dad or brother or sister, there's value in there in learning those principles. So there are a lot of things that will trigger me. Now, I, I have a lot of books sent to me as well. Of course, authors send me their new books looking for endorsements or forwards often, so I see things in a manuscript form. But publishers do the same thing. Publishers send me lots of books hoping that I will recommend them. And you hear me a lot of times recommend books. I mean, I just wrote a blog. I think it is, it may not be today's, but it's scheduled for this week. And I used a quotation from Derek Sivers' new book, Anything You Want. Derek is the founder, was the founder of, well, he is the founder, but he's now sold the business, CD Baby. Started that in his little book, Anything You Want. It's just a delightful little read. I ordered boxes of copies, sent them to all our 48 days Dot net advisors advisory team 
and have given them out to a lot of other people. So a lot of times I'll buy a hundred copies of a book if I enjoy it myself and then give those out to people as they come through the sanctuary or I have contact with them in some way. Love the process of reading, never get tired. Always look forward to those times on a day when I can pick up a good book and read it. Robert says, Dan, I'm in an ugly situation. Do you have any advice for dealing with a manager one cannot stand? I'm nowhere near replacing my current income, so my transition plan is going slow. I tell myself every day that the type of person my manager is is someone I would never hang around, I would never deal with in my personal life, but because this person is my manager, I'm forced to deal with it. My manager is cocky, rude, condescending, and obnoxious. I don't believe going to HR would do any good. Um, What do I do? He's got some other information here, but he says, what do I do? I really want to quit this because I hate dealing with the individual makes me upset that I wouldn't socialize with this type of person in my personal life, but in my job, I have to. Well, you've got some pretty clear options, Robert. One is you can quit. Now, you may think, well, no, you can't. You need the income. Well, then you've chosen to go to this job rather than deal with the consequences of not going. But don't see yourself as trapped because you're not. You do have that choice tomorrow morning you can just say i'm not going to go back to that i'm not going to take that crap anymore and i wouldn't blame you for doing that but you have to be willing to deal with the alternative choices that then come out of that choice but there is that one you could create a transition plan where you don't burn any bridges you don't just walk out without having that income replaced but you could do a, a great job search get another job when that's in place then give your two weeks notice and leave with your head held high If you are trying to generate income on your own, which it sounds kind of like you are, you say, you know, we're near replacing your current income, but it sounds like you may be doing something on the side. Boy, get aggressive about that. I mean, take those 168 hours we each have during the week, carve out what you need to legitimately give to your work and use as many of the remaining 168 hours to focus on getting your sideline business up and running. So you can very quickly in 30 to 60 days move up to replacing your income and be out of there the same way. Now, in the meantime, there are things you can do. Now, I just mentioned that my Wednesday morning group is going through How to Win Friends and Influence People, the old Dale Carnegie book. There's a whole lot of things you can do in there that may totally transform your relationship with your boss. This is not just one-sided. You are not just the unfortunate recipient of him being a jerk. There are things you can do that are going to minimize his jerkiness very quickly. Look for opportunities to compliment him on things he's done well. I mean, if you really did that, if you looked for ways to give him honest and sincere compliments, I'll bet his jerkiness toward you is going to almost disappear off the map. But I would encourage you to grab a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People. Just make it a game. I mean, we had one of the guys in our group this morning who is a builder. He is building a spectacular home for a lady. The roofer somehow got one shade darker shingle than what she thought she had picked out. Now, the entire house is roofed. She calls the builder upset, angry, crying, blah, blah, blah. He's ruined her house, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Now, his knee-jerk response was, you got to be kidding me, lady. I mean, the first rain we have, you aren't going to be able to tell the difference between this shade and the shade you picked. You know, get over it. But he decided, no, I'm going to try the principles I'm reading about and how to win friends and influence people. So he called her up and says, 
you know, Mrs. Smith, whatever her name was, you're right. Our roofer made a mistake. That is not the shade you picked. We're going to start tearing that roof off tomorrow. She was like, wow, you are? How much is that going to cost me? And he said, well, ma'am, it's not going to cost you anything. It was our mistake. We're going to tear the roof off, throw those shingles away, and put new shingles on starting tomorrow morning. She said, let me get back to you. About 15 minutes later, she called him up. She says, you know what? I've gone out and looked at those. I'm not sure I could really tell from down here in the ground the difference in shingle. I just saw a piece laying on the ground that I was able to match up, so I was able to tell the difference, but I really can't tell when I'm looking up at it. She says, it's already on. It looks beautiful. Let's just leave it like it is. Well, that just saved my buddy and some of the neighborhood of 10 grand to not have to tear that off and redo it again. Whereas his first response might have led to a confrontation where the lady says, by golly, you are going to change it because that's, I told you exactly what I wanted and you didn't do it. No, he took another approach. Respect, consideration, affirmation for her good decisions all along. She's made good decisions and she comes back, but now she's in the driver's seat. She comes back and says, I, we aren't going to do that. That's ridiculous, which in fact it was. So experience, have fun with that. And you can do this with, I mean, the person who, takes your order at lunch today or the little gal behind the dry cleaning counter. I mean, it's amazing how just little affirmations can transform a cranky person's attitude and their respect and consideration of you. Hey, I've been doing it for years. And it doesn't come across as gimmicky or greasy or anything like that at all. Do it with true, authentic, you know, honest and pure motives and you'd be amazed how much nicer people will treat you. Scott says, Dan, I'm 46 years old. I have my dream job. My problem is I'm paid per diem, and each year I have fewer opportunities to work, so my income continues to drop. I need to find ways to supplement my income. Do you have any suggestions? I have 48 days and have no, oh, I have, I have 48 days and no more Mondays on the way. Well, thanks for being a reader of my books. Scott, now, being paid per diem, of course, it's just being paid per day. If you're being paid per diem, then I suspect that you are an independent contractor, that you get not a W-2, but a 1099 at the end of the year already. Now, I can't be totally sure on that, but I suspect that may be true. If that is true, then you are not limited to doing work just for your current company where the work is slacking off and you aren't get as, getting as many days booked. You can go find a comparable company and start offering your services to them. And I would encourage you to do that. If you are on a per diem, even if you are currently a W-2 employee, you might have this discussion with your employer, discussing the fact that you aren't getting as many jobs from them. And since you don't have a guaranteed salary, you're getting a per diem that it's hurting your income. You need to be able to offer your services to other companies in the area. They may welcome that. They may feel less pressure in knowing that you're doing that than in the current arrangement that they have. Not uncommon, just explore those new opportunities like that to boost your income back up again. Ben says, in your last podcast, you talked about your 12 questions you asked prospective customers to get them saying yes. It was your sales process, and I did. I talked about developing a little sales process where I would knock on doors and then ultimately had seven other guys working for me. We'd knock on doors and ask questions and we were taking an educational survey and we would like to get your advice and opinion. Now we were there to sell a product, but that's not the way you start off. 
that immediately puts up a person's guard. Everybody wants to give you their advice and opinion. There's no question about getting that. So we would, you know, would you be willing to give me your opinion? Okay, there you get a first yes. People jump at the opportunity to give you their opinion. And I would walk people through 12 questions where we would get, no, we were going to get at least five yeses, no matter who we were talking to. And it led right into a very gentle close of the product we were selling. Now, Ben says, if you could choose only one book to use to learn a sales process, what would it be? Thanks for your time and information. No problem at all. It would be Zig Ziglar's Secrets of Closing the Sale. Is that a brand new book? Brand new theory that just came out in the last year? No, it's an old, old book. But it is, and there have been lots of others. I mean, Tommy Hopkins has wonderful information on selling. Brian Tracy, The Psychology of Selling is a stellar product. But if there were one that I were going to choose, it would be Zig Ziglar's classic book, Secrets of Closing the Sale. He talks about the steps in selling, building trust and rapport, identifying the need, then a product presentation, and then getting the buy-in at the end. I mean, he goes through that in a way that nobody else does it as clearly with as easy to understand principles and language as Zig. Jen says, Dan, I've been a web designer for 15 years and have been freelancing for the last three. So far, business has been just okay, but I'm wondering if I need to start doing business with a company name in order to attract larger clients. I'm hesitant because I feel like I built a brand under my own name. This is not a real deal breaker either way, Jen. If you're doing web design under your own name, you can build as big a company as you want to with that name in place. And it doesn't just imply that, well, this is just a little one-man show here. If you come up and if you come up with some grandiose, you know, unlimited conglomerate international name, it doesn't that in itself just assure people that you are, in fact, a big company. Now, the bottom line is going to be the service that you provide for them anyway. And you can do that under your own name. I wouldn't worry about it. If you're building traction and branding under your own name, I mean, look at look at companies out here like um, Ben and Jerry's. I mean, it's two buddies got together. I mean, uh, Ben and Jerry's, that didn't just stay some little mom and pop operation. It grew into a major, major company, but just under their name. I mean, most of, most of our car names, Cadillac, I mean, that guy was the founder of Detroit, Michigan. That was his last name. He was a French explorer, Cadillac. Chevy was named after the company co-founder, Louis Chevrolet. Chrysler, of course, named after Walter P. Chrysler. I mean, think about even the Walt Disney Company. I mean, it's just his name, the Walt Disney Company. Um, I think you're fine with doing just that. I would just stick with that. Wendy's, golly, that was uh, Dave Thomas's daughter's name, Wendy. And it, it built into a rather significant company. You can do the same. Well, golly, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to have to shift, shift gears right there. Now, let me just remind you, we are more than half through the year. Seems amazing, but we're more than halfway through the year. So it ought to be easy to track your goals. Nathan, my son-in-law, and I just sat down yesterday, and we looked at our financials for January through June. We're now into July, so we have a full half year to look at. So it's very easy to calculate. Are we hitting the projections we had for the seven different revenue areas we've got at 48 days? Are we behind in some? If so, what can we do to ramp those up? You know, it's very clear. We can look at the trends 
based on our projections, know exactly where we are. You ought to be that quantifiable and identifying, are you on track with the goals that you had for this year? Are you hitting the goals you had for 2011? You ought to already be mapping out what you want to accomplish in 2012. It's not too early for that. Be working on those as well. If you want to join us for one of the live events we've got coming up here, that's always a highlight for me uh, to have a whole bunch of people show up. We have a couple of great days together teaching you how to turn your writing into income or your coaching in income. Check out those live events. We're getting ready to announce the details of next year's No More Mondays cruise. We've got all the back end logistics in place. Just haven't announced it yet. Or the speakers. I'm talking to a couple of people about that. So be looking for that. A lot of interesting things going on here, and I trust in your life as well. I'm going to go out with a little bit different music than what I normally use. You'll recognize this. Probably my favorite group of all time, U2. I know this is still a continuing theme for La Chivia. Still just not found exactly what you're looking for, but boy, you're on a track. You know, don't, don't worry about exploring some ideas and finding out that they don't really work for you that's the way you find the gold nugget just keep trying ideas but keep weighing those against what you know about yourself as a filter for what really is going to make sense ultimately have a great week finding or creating work that is meaningful fulfilling purposeful and profitable